When we're looking today, as we want to focus for a few moments in chapter 29 in the book of Jeremiah, it's in this passage in verses 1 through 14, there's a very familiar verse. And I, I hope we today have a good understanding of why that verse is there and what that verse actually means. But we're going to look in verses 1 through 14. You know, violence seems to be never-ending. Through the centuries, we've heard of some of the most dreadful crimes that's being orchestrated on humanity. While it appears with that, it appears that every community has its share of, of people who are abusing their neighbors. Rather, it's with verbal attacks, whether it's with gossip, with false accusations, with cursing. Uh, there are those who are being sexually abused and, uh, and others are even abusing their own children physically and sexually. And in our minds, that's just indescribable of the, of the violence and the gruesomeness of violence. When we read or we hear of these events, whether it's in a newspaper, online, or on the local news, we're reminded just how lawlessness and violence is running rampant in our society. Oh, if you don't know it, you've been living under a rock. I, I, I've got an app, uh, Newsbreak, and it's going off all day long. And most of it, 90% of it, is violence. It's running rampant in our society, and we can't turn a blind eye to it. When we look here in this passage, we begin to see that Israel is dealing with violence. Israel is dealing with, with judgment that's actually being placed upon them. And I wonder sometimes if we are looking at the violence in the right way, if we understand that there is judgment for sin and no sin goes unpunished. When we look in this passage here in the 29th chapter, in verses 1 through 14, in the book of Jeremiah, it says, Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive, to the priests, to the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. This happened after Jehoiakim, Jehoi, the king and queen mother, the eunuchs, the the princes of Judah and, and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the, the son of Saphon and Gomorrah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and dwell in them, plant gardens, eat their fruit, take wives, beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. 
and seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away. Carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace you will have peace. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to their dreams which you caused to be dreamed. For their prophecy falsely to you, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years were com are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me and when you search for me with all your heart you will, I, will, I will be found by you says the Lord and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you says the Lord and I will bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away captive. <laughs> this is God's holy word. God, as we do come before you, we thank you, we praise you for what we have felt this day. For your Holy Spirit has been in this place. And God, as you are still here abiding with us, we pray that you open our hearts and minds as we turn to your word. Now, God, speak to those who don't know you uh, for the forgiveness of their sin. Encourage them, strengthen them, and empower them to give their life to you. And God, those of us who know you, we pray that you would encourage us through this message today, reminding us that you're with us in all our circumstances. And God, we give you praise, glory, and honor for everything that's accomplished. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For our thoughts for these next few moments is encouragement in the midst of our circumstances. Encouragement in the midst of our circumstances. Now in verses 1 through 14, as we look here in this chapter, in chapter 29, uh, what we find, it appears that it's a letter. Just these 14 verses is one letter. As a matter of fact, if you go through the entire chapter in these 32 verses, what you'll find are four different letters. And today we want to look at this first letter, which is the longest letter in the midst of this passage or in the midst of this chapter. And we may look at the other three letters. We may not. We'll see what God does this week. But right now, today, we're looking at this first letter. And it's a letter of encouragement. It appears that this letter from Jeremiah to the exiles of Babylon has a reason. And it is to encourage the exiles by giving them a message from God. God told them to make the most of their difficult circumstances. Now understand these exiles were experiencing the worst of circumstances imaginable. They had lost everything. They had been taken captive and they'd been brought into a foreign land. And even in their circumstances, God had a plan for them. It was for them to be a strong witness of the Lord. These Israelites had been living for the Lord at but it was time, or they had not been living for the Lord. And now it was time for them to settle down and to turn to him. And while we're right there, I want to say this. It's time for somebody to settle down and just turn to God. 
There's, there's those in here today, and there's those in churches everywhere, and there, there are those in their homes, and those in facilities, and those in places today who who God has been dealing with you and God has been pouring his spirit upon you and he's been beckoning you and calling you to just settle down and turn to him. You're holding on to something that is going to be of no eternal value, but if you'll just settle down and turn to God, he will bless you and give you so much more than you've ever dreamed. But you've got to settle down and turn to him. What do I mean by that? Just settle yourself and admit to who you are. Admit that you're lost and undone and in need of a Savior. And call out to Him and He will be right there to hear your call. You don't have to fix things. You don't have to get things right. Just come to Him and He'll make you right. But you've got to come to Him. Here when we look in this passage, we see this an encouraging petition that's been made to the Israelite captives. We can notice here who this letter is written to. This letter is written to the Jews who had been taken exile, taken into exile by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Here, King Nebuchadnezzar deported everyone he thought that might be a problem. If we look here in this passage, we begin to see all that he took. He took princes and eunuchs, the king and the queen. He took, he took craftsmen. He took those who were skilled, the smiths. He took, he took everyone that he thought he could use and everyone he thought that if he left them where they were at in a desolate, in a desolate place, that they would rise up within themselves. If you look in the book of Daniel, you'll find he took those who were gifted with skills and knowledge and wisdom and he took them along with him. I want you to know he took everybody he thought would benefit his kingdom and would not come against him. That's who he took in this. Now keep in mind, these exiles were forced to march hundreds of miles. It wasn't just a day's journey. It wasn't just a, a, a skip and a hop. It was hundreds of miles. And, and this was after they had fought. And there were many who didn't survive this journey. There were women. As a result of it, there were a lot of Jews who, who, were, who, left, who were left desolate or left dead from this grueling march. And, and because of those who, did, those who did survive, Jeremiah knew that they needed some encouragement. As a matter of fact, he, he sends this letter to them for them to be encouraged. We all find ourselves in need of encouragement sometimes, don't we? We all find ourselves, because of the circumstances of life, we need somebody to come by and say it's going to be all right, or somebody to come by and say, I'm right here with you. I'm praying for you. I'm lifting you up to God. I'm, I'm calling your name out. We, we hear that. It does something to me. I don't know what it does to you, but just to hear someone say, Preacher, I'm praying for you. It lights a fire in me. It encourages me that I'm not in this alone, and somebody else is wanting me to succeed. You know, you'd be surprised how the devil goes about trying to beat me up day in and day out. You'd be surprised uh, how often I wonder if what I'm doing just makes any difference whatsoever. You'll be surprised to know how much, how much I feel like I'm making a mess day in and day out and week in and week out trying to do this work for the Lord. But then you'll also be surprised. You'll be surprised at all the encouraging messages that I get on Facebook Messenger, all the encouraging texts, all the encouraging emails, all the encouraging calls and cards, all the encouragers that come by at the Bible study or come by after worship service you'll be surprised what that does to me it helps remind me that this isn't about me and even when I'm encouraged that God is still in the midst of my circumstances and knows that when I need somebody to come by it helped me along the way folks we need one another 
Discouragement comes. We all get discouraged. If you think a pastor don't ever get discouraged, ask Brother Crafton. I know you've got faith in him. Ask him. He'll tell you. He'll tell you that pastors get discouraged. You know why I talk to pastors so much? Because nobody understands a pastor like a pastor. That's why I try to be a friend to pastors. Because I know from the 14 years of being here what the devil will do to us when we're going about our daily routines. I'm not talking about the fusses and fights and the, and the petty little stuff that we all deal with here in church. I'm talking about how Satan comes at us and how he attacks us and he tries to get in the middle of our lives and mess everything up for us. Oh, if I'd listened to him, I'd have been left you. I'd have been left on my own and I'd be in a bigger mess than what I'm in today. Yes, here we find we need encouraging Folks, I want to tell you, as a body of believers, we must lift each other up. We must lift each other up in prayer. There are many who, who I, I, I don't even tell enough here in this church how, how much you mean to me and to the life of this church. There are those of you who are part of our officers and teachers and workers. Those of you who are faithful members. Those of you who are faithful attendees. Those of you who are visiting with us. I want you to know that you can be encouraged because I appreciate that you're here. I appreciate what you do. And the Lord is going to bless you for it. Mother, don't you think God's going to bless those? who just gave this worship service to us I want to tell you if we, if we fail to realize that God was in that then we're failing to realize who God is I often wonder do we hear God speak to us because I believe all of us including myself find ourselves not obeying the word of God and not moving when God says move but I want you to know that God loves us and he is, he is wanting us to be exactly who he has called us to be because yes it matters you matter I don't care what this world tells you. You matter. You matter to this church. Whether you're visiting or whether you've been here all your life, you matter. You matter. When we feel like the world is beating us down, we feel like we can't go any further. Boy, the word has promised us in Psalm 55 and 22 that we can cast our cares upon the Lord and he will, he will sustain you. He will, he will never let the righteous fall. Man, doesn't that just encourage you right there? To know that he's going to sustain us. He won't let us fall. But the encouragement Jeremiah gave to the the exiles, let's keep this, let's, let's remember this. Hold on to this if you don't hold on to nothing else. It was God's encouragement. God gave him the encouragement to give to the people. It wasn't Jeremiah. Listen, you and I can't do anything apart from God that's worth anything. We need him in our lives. And we need him leading us. Listen, the tragedy that they were going through was great. And Jeremiah didn't have the words for them. But God did. God himself had carried the people into exile. Nebuchadnezzar was an instrument that God used to take them in there. And if you read this passage, you see that. Because here in verse 4, he says, I have caused you to be captive. Here he He says, God is the one who's done this. He lets us know that that Nebuchadnezzar is just an instrument. He's just a tool of God. And God had caused them to go into exile because of their sin. He caused them to go into exile because they had turned away from him. They had rejected him. They had taken on other idols rather than serving the Lord. 
Israel, listen, their, their tragedy was great. We can't, we can't fathom it. We can't understand it. They had lost everything. They had lost their homes, their property. It was destroyed. Their wealth was taken from them. Folks, they, they were in a bad situation. It was as bad as it could possibly get. Many of the women lost their husbands and sons. And the women that, were, that did survive, they were physically and sexually abused by the Babylonian soldiers. And the survivors, they were taken to a foreign land. And, you know, I can't imagine the hopeless state that they were in. No, we can't imagine. We read about the trail of tears that our native people marched on. <laughs> but the march was far worse than what we can imagine. We read about Jesus' arrest and his trials, his beatings at the whipping post. We read about his crucifixion. Many of us watch Mel Gibson's production of this gruesome, this gruesome display of the greatest week in history. But it was far worse than what we can imagine or what we saw. If you've never experienced a missing child, it's far worse than what you can imagine. If you've never experienced... Burying a child is far worse than what you can imagine. If you've never been homeless, it's far worse than what you can imagine. If you've never been raped, it's far worse than what you can imagine. If you've never been taken a person's life, even in self-defense, it's far worse than what you can imagine. And the only encouragement that we can have, it comes from the Word of God. Here they were encouraged. But how did God encourage them? He tells them, settle down, build houses, and plant gardens. He tells them to marry and to start families and to have children and to let their population increase. He tells them to seek peace and prosperity for Babylon. He actually tells them to seek him for the peace. In other words, what he was saying he was saying to God, God was saying to them, seek me for peace here. In other words, seek me that I'll put it in their hearts to let you be at peace. In other words, he was saying, pray for your enemies. Pray for those who's taken you hostage. Pray for those who, who's caused you to be in exile. And pray for them. Oh, how often do we pray for those who despise us? How often do we pray for those who seek to abuse us? Well, I, I know this, being the creator of the universe, one thing God knows very well is that you'll catch more flies with honey than you will with vinegar. He has to know that. I believe he knew that as he was giving this letter to him because it's, it's more likely that the people of Israel would prosper in this land. It's more likely that they would be given more freedoms and privileges if they didn't cause any problems, if they didn't cause disorder. You know, our country could use that word today, couldn't they? Couldn't they use that? You know, we live in a time where people are protesting every little thing. What we seem to not realize is that it only makes the matter worse. This going on, this is going on because of the false hope that people are receiving. We're told that the world, that in this world, we have to stand up and fight for our rights. We're told in this in this world that we have to knock doors down. We're told that we that we have to we have to sometimes fight fire with fire. But you'll never find that in Scripture for the Christian. Luke six and thirty one says, "Just as you want would want men to do to you." you also do to them likewise. 
Matthew 5 and 44 says, But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Why? Why? Because verse 45 answers that in, in Matthew 5. That you may be the sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. He's letting us know here that we need to pray for those who are coming against us. I don't know where you stand, but I know this. If the sun's shining bright, just keep living. It's going to get cloudy and rain sometime. If it's raining all on your life, just hold on because it's going to get sunny at some part of your life. It rains on the just and the unjust. The sun shines on the good and the evil. So we are to love those who despise us. Pray for those who seek to harm us because it's what God has said to do. It's the best way to live in this life. Yes, this same false hope that was being given to Israel by these false prophets, they are giving the people the same false message of security, a false message of peace, a false message of prosperity. They were telling them, it's going to be all right because in just a little while, God's going to come. They were telling them, we won't be here long. God's going to come. They were telling them that, that we're going to conquer. We're going to defeat the Babylonians. Well, preacher, isn't that what the scripture says? Hold on. Here they're telling them it's going to happen really soon. But God has declared that it's going to take 70 years of them being in this place, in this, in this place where they know they don't know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were going to have to live there for 70 years years because of their sin judgment was passed upon them and these false teachers was telling them we'll be you're, we're going to be alright you don't worry about that we'll be out of here in no time and that weren't really the case 70 years is a long time I haven't got there and I feel like I'm been living longer than I need to yeah 70 years isn't that long all you got to do is get to 50 you'll figure out it ain't that old either I'm so close to 50, I can almost spit on it. <laughs> 70 is not as old as it once was to me. Here, yes, there was, there was an encouraging petition for them. And that petition was from God. And that petition was for them to, to live life. To live life. To plant your gardens, build your houses, have your families. Just live life. But here, listen to the encouraging promise God was making to them. He wanted them to do this because while the people were taken captive and their city was destroyed, God still had a plan. He promised to restore their home. Look there in verse 10, and we see that again later down. I think it's in verse 14. But there in verse 10, he says, For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. Here, there's the promise. You're going back home. It's going to take 70 years, but you're going to go back home. <laughs> but in the meantime, adjust to your circumstances. Their circumstances was not what defined them. Instead, who they are in, as God's people is what defined them. I don't know if you're aware of this, but before you can know who you are, you've got to know whose you are. Because this world is telling me that you're nothing, Hilton. 
You're just a hick from Union Chapel. That you, you're not going to amount to anything. This world is telling me that you're never going to have what, what you dream. You're never going to be in position to where you, you're going to be looked at greatly. But you know what God says? I know who I belong to. I know whose I am. And I'm the Lord God Almighty's son. He says, though the world looks at you this way, you are my child. You're an heir to my throne. You're a part of the bride of my only begotten son. You are blessed and highly favored. You are a man who I will lift up and I will glorify you. You are somebody who has eternal life. I want you to know if you're here today, you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You're not defined by this world. You're not defined what people think, but you're defined by who you are in God. Oh, I'm so glad of Jesus Christ. I'm so glad I'm defined by who I am in Him and not in this world. Their identity was not as captives but they were God's chosen people. They were, they were in Babylon and they were to be a witness for their God. Now, yes, listen, God was passing judgment upon Israel by allowing them to be taken captive. But let me tell you what God told me last night. I, I didn't get this from a commentary. I didn't get this from another message. I didn't get this from listening to other preachers. God just spoke to my heart. And he shared this simple thing to me. He said, I I let them go captive, but I took them to a mission field. Listen, folks, I want you to know something. When they went to Babylon, the only people that knew about God the God that we serve was the ones that were being taken in there as exiles. The Babylonians didn't know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were all on their way to a demon's hell. You know what God does? He, take, he lets them go captive. They go into this, in this place and he tells them now build houses, now have children, now plant your vineyards, now eat and live in this world and be a light to me. Be a light to the God that, who brought you in here because the same God is going going to take you out. In other words, all of those that were on their way to hell were going to have a chance to know the God that could bring them to glory. I'm so glad we have a God who sits high and looks low. Yes, they were being taken captive, but they were taken to a mission field. Man, I ain't never heard that before in my life until God spoke to my heart last night. Because you know why? When they went in there And they began to show God in their lives. (laughs) Then they began to inquire and want to know about this God. Do you remember when Daniel was taken into Babylon as a young boy? Him and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they said, I won't eat the king's meat. They were in Babylon. And they proved, God proved them to be better than the ones who ate the king's meat. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who said that I won't bow, not before you, king, and our God has the power to to raise us up, and if he doesn't, I still am not going to bow. Yes, it was in Babylon. You remember when they told Daniel, if you'll pray to your God, you're going to be cast into a lion's den? Yes, he was in Babylon, and his God showed out. Folks, if we'll just obey God, do what he calls us to do, the world will see that he still sits on his throne and he's in control of all things. It was in Babylon. Every time they obeyed God, God showed up and delivered them. Oh, what a testimony. Oh, here we are. Sometimes it seems like we're in the midst of Babylon in this world that we're living in. But if we'll be obedient, we'll show the world that there is a God. And he still loves us.
God, God's thoughts toward Israel was thoughts of peace, not evil. He wanted to give them a future and a hope. Well, I tell you what, reading this, it helps me to understand that verse in Romans that we just, it confounds us so much when it says that God's working all things out for our good and for his glory. And that's exactly what taking them. You can't see the good in it when you first read it. They're taken into captive for 70 years for their good, for them to turn to God and for God's glory, for them to be a light in this, in this place for God and for him to be glorified. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, God had a plan. And it was a peace, not evil, to give a future and a hope if they would turn to him. No matter what our circumstances to be, in the very midst of them, we've been given a mission field. We have the opportunity to complain and gripe and give up. But we have the opportunity to trust and obey. We have the opportunity to be a witness of God's grace and mercy and love. We have an opportunity to be a witness of his power. Just by the way we live our lives, we have the opportunity to show this lost and dying world that our God still sits high and looks low. And he's still working in our lives. No matter what it looks like around us, he's still there. Unsaved, your circumstances don't have to define you. God has thoughts towards you and his thoughts are of peace and not evil. His thoughts is to give you a future and a hope. But you must obey him. God demonstrated his love toward you. And we see that in John 3.16 where God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He left the portals of glory to come to this sin-cursed world. He lived a sinless life. For, and for that they cursed him. They beat him. They crucified him. He knowing no sin. He came to sacrifice for our sins. He gave up his life so that we could be forgiven of our sin. He arose from the grave, conquering death, hell, and the grave to give us a hope that our lives won't end at the grave, but that we have eternal life. Folks, I don't know what your struggle is. I don't know your circumstances. But I know a God who will get in the circumstance with you. And he'll give you victory if you'll call upon him. Because I don't know. I don't know what you think, but I've come to understand this. You don't have to stand in your circumstances alone. He wants to stand with you. His ultimate purpose for you is to pour out his richest blessings upon you. But you must obey. You must receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Well, we hope you've enjoyed the message today. And if you happen to not have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, we want to invite you to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. It's as simple as the ABCs. If you would admit that you are a sinner and that you are in need of a Savior and believe that God sent his very son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth to be the sacrifice for our sins and that he died for our sins and he arose on the third day. And then if you would confess him 
as your Lord and Savior, you can be saved. You must believe this with all your heart, and you must be willing to serve him. If you are, all you have to do is talk with Jesus. You don't need a preacher. You don't need a church to get saved. But if you get saved, find yourself a Bible-believing church. And I believe God will richly bless you.